0: Howard Metzenbaum asked him, how can you run for Senate when you never held a job? Now, I'm going to change a little bit of this. I can. It's my world. John Glenn said, is that right? I served 23 years in the United States Marine Corps. I fought for two wars. I flew 149 missions. My plane was hit by an aircraft fire on 12 different occasions. I was in the space program. It wasn't my job. It was my life that was on the line. And this wasn't a 9-to-5 job where I could take time off and take the daily cash receipts to the bank. I asked you to come with me as I went the other day to a veteran's hospital. And you stand there. You look at those men with their mangled bodies. You look them in the eye and tell them that they never held a job. You come with me and visit any gold star mother. You look her in the eye and tell her her son never held a job. You come with me to the space program and visit the widows and the orphans of Ed White, Gus Grissom, and Roger Chase and you look those kids in the eye and tell them that their dads never held a job. You come with me on this Memorial Day weekend coming up to Arlington National Cemetery where I got more friends than I'd like to remember. And you stand there, you watch those waving flags, you think about this nation and you tell me that those people never held a job. Fuck! I'll tell you, Howard Metzabon, you should be on your knee every day of your life, thanking God that there are some men who have held a job. And they required a dedication to purpose, a love of country, and a dedication to duty that was more important than life itself. Their self-sacrifice is what made this country fucking possible.
1: the global recon podcast i'm your host john Hendricks. back on for this episode is dan the owner of combat flags and uh combat flags is a veteran-run company that creates these really cool american flags using the uniforms of servicemen and women who served in combat and and they make a, a bunch of other items as well uh combat cuffs and All these cool products that are really handmade and uh, half of the proceeds that are generated from the sales of these items are given to a very good organization which works towards preventing uh, soldier suicide. So on with Dan is James, a Marine Corps veteran and uh, a combat veteran of Iraq, and Mike, who is a Green Beret veteran with deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan. But uh, before we get into that, um, I would just encourage the audience to uh, send your hopes and prayers to uh, retired Special Missions Unit Major and author of the book, Bin Laden, uh, Dalton Fury, as he is going through a a tough time right now and he's working through some personal issues. So, um, you know, I I would just like the family of of the majors to know that the American people support you and... and, uh, And we support the Major. And uh, we hope that everything works out. Um, And also, a couple of days ago, an Army Green Beret was killed in Afghanistan. Uh, I'm not sure the exact details, but I know they were on a a dismounted patrol. Uh, The name of the Green Beret who was killed is Staff Sergeant Adam Thomas of Tacoma Park, Maryland. Um... He was a a veteran of, I I believe, Iraq and Afghanistan, and, um, you know, I just want to send my condolences out to the family of uh, Staff Sergeant Thomas and uh, also to his teammates, and, uh, you know, the country lost uh, a great warrior this week. So uh, with that being said, now I will play the conversation that I had with Dan from Combat Flags. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, back on the podcast uh, for this episode is Dan from Combat Flags, and I've had Dan on a previous episode. And um, Combat Flags is a unique company. Uh, Dan is a veteran of the U.S. Army uh, with rotations into the Philippines. And um, on the last time that he was on, we we discussed uh, in in some depth, you know, what's kind of going on in the Philippines and what the U.S. role is there. And um, we also have two other guests on, who Dan is going to introduce in a second, who have contributed to combat flags. So, Dan, how's it going, brother?
2: Great, John. Thanks for having me back on, man.
1: No worries, man. Thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, sure thing. So, last time you and I talked, we, like you said, we just talked over my time in the military and touched on combat flags at the very end. But one uh, one aspect that we didn't really hit too hard was the fact that every flag every combat flag, has it holds the story of who donated donated the gear to me. So I've had, over the past five months, I've had 36 people send in boxes and boxes of uniforms from really ranging from the, the early 90s, from Desert Storm, up through just a year ago on a rotation into Afghanistan. Um, so I thought it'd be cool, and I thought that your listeners would really get a kick out of hearing from two guys who ended up sending uniforms into me. So I've got Mike, who's an Army vet, and I've got James, um, who's a Marine Corps vet. And both of them sent uniforms in early on. James are a bit earlier than Mike. And I thought their stories were were really cool and would resonate well with your listeners and give it a really boots-on-the-ground point of view for their their time in the military. Um, So, Mike, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself real quick.
3: Yeah. Hey, guys. uh, My name is Mike. Uh, I was in the Army for 10 years. Uh, I'm a medically retired Green Beret. Um, So I came in. At first, I was a a 19-kilo tanker for four years. And then uh, after that, I went to selection, got selected, and became uh, my official title was Special Forces Engineer Sergeant. I've been to Iraq. Actually, I went to Iraq in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom One back in 2003. Uh, I've been to Oman, been to Afghanistan. Uh, I went to Afghanistan in 2012 to 2013, and after I came back from deployment, uh, pretty much my body just shut down on I me. Mean, uh, basically, what happened was I just I went too hard for too long, and uh, docs, they gave me an MRI and took a look at me, sat me down, and they said, hey, man, you can't be doing your Green Beret stuff anymore, so... You know, you could take a desk job for 10 years or take full retirement. And so I went the retirement route. And then uh, from there, right now, I'm actually doing a couple of things. Uh, one of those things is go ruck. And uh, I'm a cadre for them It's basically a current or former special operations guys. And we take out uh, civilians on ruck marches and you know, basically long hikes carrying heavy things. And we teach them some of the things that we've learned in the special operations community during our careers. And then the second thing I'm doing right now is, uh, I fight child sexual exploitation and I was approached with that job while I was retiring from the army. And so, uh, I do computer forensics in child sexual exploitation.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Excellent.
2: All right. Uh, James, before I ask you to introduce yourself, I just want to tell everybody that James was one of the first Marines to send in uh, uniforms to me, and he was also the very first person to write me a handwritten note to accompany the the package, and it was one of the more well-written notes I've received since then, and definitely one of the most emotional, and his flag continues to be the number one most requested story. Uh, So James, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick.
4: Yeah, my name is uh, James. I served in the Marine Corps for eight years. Uh, I was O three eleven, which is a basic rifleman. The my entire career, uh, I tr- <clears throat> I deployed to Iraq in two thousand five, and was there for uh, about eight months. Uh, I got wounded pretty early in uh, during an ambush. I got. Uh, hit with an RPG, uh, took shrapnel from the RPG and then was, uh, shot a little later on during the ambush. <clears throat> uh, I went to, uh, surgical, the surgical center there in Al-Asad. They fixed me up, uh, and wanted to send me home uh, at the end of my rehab. And, uh, I opted to go back to my unit and, uh, you know, it was, uh, just felt really weird going home when everybody else was still there um, so i came back to my unit and stuck it out and then um realized that uh the bullet in the knee took a little bit more out of me than i thought it had and uh so i couldn't continue on with my career and uh i got out um and now i'm a full-time firefighter um in the city of portsmouth and uh I work with youth in my local church uh, and just try to uh, try to live. Uh, You know, we, uh, my unit was to that point, uh, the most, the hardest hit unit uh, in Iraq at the time. We lost 23 uh, Marines, corpsmen, and uh, I think had close to 48 or 50 wounded. And, uh, you know, we took a, we took a hard hit, and I'm uh, just trying to make sure their memories don't go away, make sure that nobody ever forgets them, what they did.
1: Yeah, you um...
2: – go ahead, John.
1: No, I was going to say that, uh, you know, it, it's important to, um, you know, honor those guys, those Marines and those um, Army veterans, Air Force, you know, everyone who was in the service – uh, because even though people might not be here, as long as you uh, remember them and make sure that people remember them, to me, you know, they never fully um, are, are gone. You know what I mean?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, James. You um, so on the back of all my flags, I put a quote on from Major Rusty Bradley. But you had a quote that you had written me that I actually swapped out for his, and it's it's something that I look at fairly often. And it reads: uh, I hope this flag reminds people that every breath is a gift, and to live tomorrow is not guaranteed. So live and live well. And I think that perfectly sums up the 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 thoughts or the feelings of so many guys who went overseas or know someone who was killed to, to just not take any day for granted.
4: Exactly. Uh, you know, when I got hit, you know, it was, and you know, you. Guys, going to test. I mean, it happens so fast and you don't even uh, really have time to even realize what's going on before, you know, as you go into full combat mode and, uh, you know, just that quick, you know, in the snap of a finger, you know, uh, everything was different. You know, life had changed. Uh, You know, you try to get people back home to realize that that uh, doesn't have to be war, man. It can be anything. You know, how many uh, veterans are we losing to, you know, drunk driving? Uh, you know suicide mm-hmm. it's uh you know don't take this stuff for granted, you know you never know when you're getting another chance to do these things that we're doing now
1: yeah and um it, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because there was a um there was an image that I'd shared like a while back on, on social media um I believe it was the image of the uh the guys from seal team sent uh, seal team ten. Who were being brought back home in their their flag draped caskets and the quote that I put under the the photo I, f- I forgot exactly where it came from but it, it read uh, if I remember correctly it was uh, never regret going old because it's a privilege that's denied to many so yep you know and and that really sums up military service especially during a time of war you know um, and and theres there's all levels of, of service you know, in order for a team to be combat effective you gotta have the proper support and, and, and uh, there's a lot of things that go into it it isn't just guys with rifles kicking down doors and stuff and um it, it just for me that that picture and that quote really summed it up uh, perfectly um so it's good that you guys have gotten out through getting wounded and, and being injured and have still been able to contribute and I think um it's awesome to see that you guys are doing well and a lot of guys get out and some people are really negatively affected by the separation or, or something that happened to them, And then some guys could kind of deal with it a little bit, but uh, you know, I had a, um, a former 18 Delta on the podcast a couple of episodes ago and he had really bad uh, TBIs and uh, post-traumatic stress. And, um, like the really the underlying message of what he was trying to get across was that cuz he, he had a very long career several deployments and the the message was pretty much that if you if you are going through these type of struggles there's nothing wrong with you and it, you know it doesn't make you weak or anything like that it's actually a very normal reaction to uh to what you guys go through and um you know I just want to thank you guys for taking out the time to come on the podcast and uh, share some of your stories thanks man thanks for having us yeah. hey, hey so uh l- let's get let's get into the um we'll get into a little more details um mike we'll, we'll start with you C- can you talk like you know what kind of motivated you to join the army and and then we could kind of um go through a little in a little more detail of your career
3: yeah so uh so it was 2000 and i was living i was a uh, 19 and a half years old and i was living in a pretty rundown area you know a lot of drugs a lot of gangs stuff like that and uh and you know i took a look around at all my friends and everything in the neighborhood and i was like man this this isn't going to be me the rest of my life i need to do something i need to get out um but you know going through school i was i was a punk kid i was more worried about hanging out and having a good time and uh so you know, I didn't think I was good enough for college or anything like that. Um, but I remember uh, hearing about the army from my ex girlfriend's dad, and he said a lot of good things about it. And so I was like, you know what? Let me let me check this army thing out. So I got online, and it said, "Do you want to explore an M1 tank?" And I was like, "Man, yes, I do." <laughs> so caught up the recruiter. He was like, "Yeah, I'll be at your house at 6 p.m." And then that was that, you know, watched a little motivational video, went to MEps and signed up and uh and you know, for the first time in my life i actually i actually felt pretty important. you know uh I went to basic training, I found some leadership skills that I didn't know existed, you know, and everything was great uh so fast forward four years, and I get out well, now you know I'm married, I have kids. And, uh, you know, I wanted to try my hand at being a civilian after being in the military for four years. So I did that for a few years. But, you know, there was always something missing. You know, I, I always felt like I was here for a, a bigger purpose, you know, to, to do more. And so I remember seeing Green Berets in Iraq in 2003. And I was like, man, those guys are rock stars. And so, you know, that's what I wanted to do so i called up the recruiter told him exactly what i wanted to do and uh you know i came back in man i was i was 28 years old and uh i knew it'd be a little uphill battle cuz i was older than most people coming back in so i had to go through basic training again and I, uh i went through infantry basic and airborne and then selection and man i just knew i wanted it and so i got selected and then um when it was all said and done, I was assigned to 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Campbell. And man, it was, uh, I mean, it was hell getting there, but it was worth it 100%. So, you know, and to was that?
1: No, I'm saying, so your you're specialty, you were uh, uh engineer uh, sergeant, is, is that the, <laughs> the right term for it?
3: Right, yeah. So when you go to special, it's a, SFAS, Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Uh, Basically, you take a a test beforehand. Basically, it's kind of like an IQ and stuff like that. And so there's four jobs that you can pick from. And then you list the jobs that you want from, you know, one to four. And engineer was the top job I wanted. You know, I wanted to to deal with explosives, demolition, construction, stuff like that. And, uh, And so I got that. And then you're also given another test to assess your ability to learn a second language. And so, uh, man, the languages I picked, because you get a wish list, and I picked Spanish, French, Indonesian in that order. And then they gave me Persian, Farsi.
1: Oh,
3: wow. (laughs) (laughs) And and, you know what was funny was I was talking to one of my buddies in selection uh, before we got our language assignments, and I was like, watch. I picked these three languages, but watch me get some language that the alphabet is like a bunch of squiggly lines and dots, like Farsi.
1: <laughs> lo, <and>
3: <laughs> lo and behold, I got it. Um, but then, you know what? After, after I graduated the, the Q course, they assigned me to intermediate Dari, which it's a pretty similar language.
1: That, and, uh, that's also a Persian, right? A Persian language. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty similar, you know.
3: The way I compare it, uh, not to offend anybody, but I would say like, you know, Persian is kind of speaking English like you know somebody from England, and Dari is like backwoods Mississippi. You know, they're both okay. con- they're both considered English, but you know, it's it's off just enough, you know, to where they classify it as, as two different languages. And, uh, so, you know what, that really helped me out because when I went to Afghanistan, for the most part, I didn't need an interpreter. You know, I would go and I would talk to our Afghan counterparts, you know, using everything I learned from, you know, my Dari school. So it came out handy nowadays. I mean, I don't use it anymore. I haven't found one Persian or Dari speaker (laughs) in uh, in Reno. (laughs) So, you know, but, uh, yeah so man. I love my job you know uh going on missions with the guys uh at times man i was I was very busy you know, I was teaching explosive breaching techniques, teaching how to clear rooms um teaching counter i e d stuff you know to the uh local Afghan police and soldiers, and then at the same time i'm uh, preparing for our own missions, you know and then at the same time, running my Special Forces camp. So, it was hectic, but, man, I loved it. You know, I loved it. So,
1: the the Special Forces camp, that was like the kind of classic Special Forces A camp?
3: Right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, we actually, during my time in Afghanistan, we actually had two different camps. The first half, it was uh, Special Forces just my team. And then we had some attachments, like we had, uh, air force combat controllers. Uh, we had Navy EOD. And then, uh, you know, we had some like Afghan workers, like, um, uh, uh, carpenters and cooks and stuff like that and security as well. And then, uh, after a while that camp closed down. So we went to is basically a camp that was, a whole bunch of different countries. There was about four or five different countries and our camp was in a, in green privacy fence in the middle of the, of the whole base. So, uh, so it was, it was a pretty good time. Like most people hate deployments, man. I, I enjoyed it. I really did. I had a great time, you know, and, uh, you know, I was always, always busy, always doing something, you know, felt important, you know, and, uh, then, you know, after I came back home, you know, and I went down with all my medical issues, you know, I got taken off my team and stuff and, and that, that hit me hard, you know, for a while. I, I went to, you know, a deep depression, you know, uh, stuff happened overseas, you know, where it, it was stuck on my head, you know, PTSD stuff. And, uh, you know, a couple of times, I, I'll admit it, you know, my mind went dark a couple of times, you know, but. um Luckily for me, I was able to, to recognize that, you know, I was able to pull myself out, you know, seek some help, you know, and then, uh, you know, the job I do now, you know, it's, it serves a good purpose. You know, I, I mean, I help save kids, you know, so, you know, so that, that all helps out.
1: Yeah. Can we talk, can you talk about that at all or like the job? Uh, I,
3: I, I could talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah, so basically, um, I got recruited by this organization as I was retiring, and they basically said, uh, "You know, hey Mike, um, we're recruiting guys from special operations to, uh, you know, help save kids by using computer forensics." And, you know, I saw a recruitment video, and I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm in." You know, and I, honestly, I hate computers. Like, I really hate computers. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm a I'm a door kicking you know shotgun breaching explosive guy, you know, and so to put me behind a computer is it, it was hell, but you know it serves a much bigger purpose than me, you know so so uh, I gladly took that you know to help out some kids, and you know there's there's a big sense of pride and stuff and and meaning behind what I do now, so you know that helps out with everything.
1: It's awesome, and it's, you know, it's great work, man. Like, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, some of the kind of statistics for those type of, like, uh, crimes, I guess you can call them, um, but it's really big, man, and I think it's bigger in the U.S. than people think, um, and then obviously some countries overseas it's really bad, but, um, you know, I think it's a fight that it is definitely something that is worth having some veterans involved in, you know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've talked talked to a lot of people and, you know, the vast majority of people, they don't realize how big of a problem it is. You know, this is, it's huge. This, This problem is huge, you know, and with more and more countries coming up online, you know, on the internet, man, it's not going away, you know? So, so there needs to be people there that, that does the dirty work, you know, so to speak. And, uh, help put those guys, you know, behind bars. So, you know, so, uh, so, you know, I gave up, I gave up some pretty amazing opportunities, you know, when I was getting out, you know, I was recruited by a few different places, you know, but uh, yeah, I chose this route, you know, again, is this was bigger than me you know? and, uh, and basically, you know, for, for being such a, uh, such an important part of my team, you know, to have all that taken away, just be, you know, like tossed out on a street. That was, that's rough. That's rough. So, so this, uh, so this new job has helped me out a lot, you know, and then, uh, then I found out about this whole GORUCK thing and, uh, man, that's helped me out a lot too. That's helped me out more than any PTSD medication or class ever has. Um, that's awesome. Be- <clears throat> yeah is now see where I am now, I don't really have you know any guys from the special operations community you know to talk to, you know, aside from like phone calls or whatever you know so so stuff that was going on in my head or my my issues that I was dealing with, you know nobody around me has that experience
1: right
3: you know, so after I hooked up with these guys well again all all the cadre all the people that lead these things are all current or former special operations guys, Green Berets, Rangers, uh, Marsock Marines, stuff like that. And so after hooking up with these guys and, you know, I was able to hang out with other cadre and we were able to, you know, talk about our aces, you know, and man, that helped me out so much. So, yeah, so thankfully uh, everything's worked out pretty good for me since I got out.
1: That, that's you know, awesome. Um, um, how long have you been out now?
3: Uh, I retired in uh, summer of two thousand
1: fourteen. Oh, that wasn't too long ago. Okay.
3: Yeah. Yep. So uh, I'm from Massachusetts. You know. Then uh, I moved. I moved to uh, Reno, sight unseen, pretty much. You know, never heard about this. You know, the only thing I heard about the Nevada area was, you know, Las Vegas. Right. gambling and legalized prostitution. That's pretty much all i heard about Nevada. And so, you know, before I came here, I was like, man, I'm going to hate this place. But when I got here, I was blown away, you know, because I'm surrounded by by hills and mountains and lakes and stuff like that. So so it's, it's turned out it's turned out good.
1: That's awesome. And uh, so, Mike, what, uh, you know, like what what kind of motivates you to send gear into uh combat flags
3: well i was uh i was on instagram and uh man i don't i don't know how i came about it but all of a sudden i seen i seen the the combat flags page or a picture on there and i clicked on it and you know i went to the website and stuff and and read about combat flags and i was like man that's, that's pretty amazing you know um I'm all for supporting, you know, military or veteran owned businesses or charities, you know, which combat flags, I think is amazing because it's a bit of both. You know, it's, it's helping out a veteran, you know, it's put money in his pocket, but then he's also donating to charity as well. You know, so, you know, I I get that one, two punch and, uh, and then, uh, I, I was emailing him, you know, I was like, Hey, do you have any, uh, you know, flags from, uh, you know, special operations guys or whatever, you know, just kind of near and dear to my heart there. And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, and stuff. And, you know, I, I got my flag and everything. Then he asked me, Hey, if you want to donate some uniforms, you know, I'll gladly take them. And my uniforms are just sitting in a box. So I was like, Hey, might as well put them to good use, you know, get some, uh, you know, help out a fellow vet and, you know, give some money to charity as well. So, yeah, so I'm glad I did. And uh, I think you got my uniforms. Was it like last Monday or something like that?
2: Yeah, I got them uh, not too long ago. And you should yeah. be getting your your flags made out of your gear here in a, uh, probably Monday or Tuesday of this week. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I think it's a pretty cool thing. You know, you get you get an American flag made out of a uniform of a of a service member. You know, that's that's been deployed or you know has a great story to tell. You know, and uh, it helps out a vet, and it helps out charity. So, I think it's a good deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I remember um, Dan sent me a flag, and um, you know, I received it in the mail. And and uh, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm feeling it. It feels nice. You know, it's like nice to touch. And and then I I read the um, the quote on the back, the one that he sent me uh, had a quote from uh, Special Forces Major Rusty Bradley, and uh, I think it was directly from the book, right, Dan? It was the his yep. quote. Yeah. yeah sure so, yeah. So when I was reading it, I'm like, "Oh, I, I know this," you know. And and um, I actually had uh, Major Bradley on a couple times on the podcast, and actually he was on recently, and we were talking um like unconventional warfare and special forces a camps and stuff like that. And um, so I just thought it was a cool deal, you know. And then actually, me and Dan hung out not too long ago um up here in New York, and uh, he gave me this really cool wristband that I, I've been wearing like all the time since then and um and then you have those wristbands on your website as well right
2: yeah so the the bands are what i i call the combat cuffs and we neither do the uh the customized ones like i gave you john or it's kind of like the memorial bracelets with names ki dates whatever or i have some standard till valhalla
1: cuffs up there yeah so it's a pretty cool cuffs um anyone interested i, I definitely recommend checking it out um so so james uh l- let's let's talk a little bit about um you know what motivated you to join the marine corps and um and if we can talk a little bit about your your experiences there
4: yeah i uh grew up in the military uh my dad was in the army he was a captain in the army and so we jumped around a lot <clears throat> and i was around the military for a long time uh and then my uncle was in the marine corps and, uh, you know, and I always saw the, um, the back and forth between both of them. Uh, so I learned a little bit about both branches, maybe not always in the, in the best light or the best terms, but, uh, and so I graduated high school in 2002, which was, of course, uh, 9-11 happened right before I graduated. And, uh, me and three friends, I knew I wanted to join the military, but I hadn't really made any concrete decisions. And, uh, you know, after that, me and a couple of friends from high school got together and we all decided to join the Marine Corps together. And so, uh, five days after we graduated high school, I was on my way to Paris Island. And, uh, you know, and they got me with the, uh, the recruiter got me with the hook for uh, joining the infantry. You know, do you like guns? Yeah. Do you like camping? Yeah. You want to shoot stuff? Yeah. So naturally, then I joined the infantry and found out uh it's quite a bit different than uh, what he had uh, painted the picture for. <laughs> but uh, so two of my fr- me and uh, my friend John, we uh, both joined infantry. Uh, my friend Alex joined the uh, combat engineers. And uh, probably the smartest one out of all of us, my friend Josh joined Intel. So I think he definitely won the smartest guy challenge. Uh, so my uh, friend went to, uh everybody kind of went their own separate ways. We all got deployed to different units. Uh, none of us got to stay together after that. Uh, and then in 2004, uh, we did a training op in Israel. And then... Shortly after then, we found out we were being deployed to Iraq that next year. And so, of course, we were all jazzed up. We were ready to go. I mean, we've been waiting for this, you know, since the invasion, you know. Um, And so we've just always been waiting for our chance uh, to go. And up to that point, we just never got the opportunity for some reason. Our number never got called. And uh, so we were all excited. We were, you know, ready to go. Uh, while I was in training uh, down at Twenty Nine Palms, that godforsaken place, uh, I got a Red Cross message, uh, and my friend John, who I joined the Marine Corps with, uh, he was killed in action.
1: Uh, oh, wow. In
4: in January of
1: two thousand five, uh, right before in Iraq.
4: Yeah, yes, in Iraq, uh, right before I deployed, <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, and he was in the Battle of Fallujah and I remember talking to him on the phone a couple times uh, you know, about his experiences and things that he had gone through Um, and so I was able to you know, I don't know I was able to get home for his funeral, they actually let me go back for his funeral, which was uh, almost like moving heaven and earth to try to get out of the training there at 29 Palms so then we deployed and You know, of course, somehow we, you know, for our first time there, we got chosen as the lead assault company for uh, 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force. And our odd tempo was through the roof. I had never been a part of anything like that before. Uh, We were constantly going through cities. And if we weren't going through cities, we were doing 24-hour patrols, 48-hour patrols, um, in and around Haditha Dam, uh, all the way down to Barwana. Uh, we made it to the Syrian border a couple times to Al Khan. Uh and we actually got a call. We actually got called up. We were supposed to have a, a day off from everything. Uh and we got called that night for a high value target. Uh you know, had a house full of weapons. Some Iraqi turned him in. So we got ready. You know, really didn't do much. There really wasn't too big of a plan going in. You know, we just knew who was going to assault, who was doing overwatch. And so we hit their house and didn't find a thing. We'd only been in country a month. You know, guys were coming in and out saying they couldn't find anything. There were no weapons there. And then the the city's mosque there in Haklania gave a call for prayer which was a, you know, if you've been over there, you know, it's pretty strict when they give their calls calls for prayer. Uh, And this was just an odd time. Shouldn't have been going off. Uh, You know, and you kind of get that feeling that your hair stands up on the back of your neck that, you know, something's just not right. Uh, And we were on the outside cordon team, uh, me and my squad, and uh, around hit right between me and my buddy and you know, then we heard the shot and, you know, we heard the report and looking all around and, you know, couldn't see anything, couldn't see any flashes, didn't see anybody moving. Uh, and you know, didn't even hear. And then after that, didn't hear a thing, you know, and, uh, we finished up, took off, uh, head back to our, uh, APCs to get out of there, our AAVs, And, uh, I saw a flash to my right and I looked and the RPG skipped. I saw the skip is what drew my attention. And then it landed about a foot from where I was standing on my other side. Uh, And so, you know, thunderclap laying there. Can't really figure out. I, 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 thinking so i'm pretty sure i'm alive but at the same time i can't open my eyes and i really can't feel anything uh so i'm sitting i'm I'm laying there and in my mind i'm having this weird conversation with myself trying to figure out if i'm dead or not uh you know what's going on and so slowly everything starts coming back and you know and i can i'm starting to come to and as my eyes open up i'm seeing you know Tracers going everywhere back and forth between both sides. Uh, There's a couple other guys who got laid out from mortars laying around. Uh, And the only thing I could think of is find cover, you idiot. You're going to die. Find (laughs) cover. You're going to die. And so (laughs) I see this almost like a godsend, man. You can see almost like uh, the hallelujah chorus and light shining down this big pile (laughs) of rocks. And I don't think I've ever run that fast in my life. And I'm not a fast runner at all. But I ran and just felt like I was setting the world on fire under my feet. And got behind that pile of rocks. And, uh, yeah, at that point I realized, you know, that I'd been hit and things didn't feel right. Uh, I I felt my mouth. I really wasn't paying attention to it at the time, but... My mouth was burning, so I moved my tongue around, and there was a piece of metal through my mouth. And uh, I could feel it with my tongue. And uh, I was like, all right, that's not good. And then I could see blood on my arm, on my legs. Uh, you know, and so at that point, I tried to wave for help because I was having trouble talking. Uh, so I couldn't really speak, but everybody was involved in, you know, and so since I couldn't get anybody's attention, I put my gun up and started looking for targets. And uh, at that point, a friend of mine uh, jumped over this giant, over the pile of rocks. For, he was trying to find cover. And he looked over at me. He was like, man, you are jacked up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so he yelled for our corpsman. And, uh, and our corpsman is a big guy. He is not small by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Like myself, not a gifted runner, uh, to say the least. And he yelled for Corbin up, and he probably made – I mean, it had to have been over 100 yards. He sprinted over open ground uh, to get to me. Uh, I mean, I thought he was going to die. I looked over the rocks, and I was pretty sure he was going to die. I was like, well, there's two of us, you know. And uh, somehow he made it to me. didn't get hit once.
1: Wow.
4: And, I mean, they – of course, you know, they're notorious, like, horrible shots, but he wasn't a small target either. Um, but uh, he got to me, and uh, I tried to tell him I could walk, so I tried to get up. And when I got up, uh, they shot me right in the knee. Wow. And uh felt like somebody just took a sledgehammer right to the side of my leg. Uh, and so, and they clipped, and they got it got in there deep. It, it, it got me good. And uh, so my corpsman took me out. Uh, I started having trouble breathing. Uh, I was losing a lot of blood and, uh, they got a tourniquet around my leg, uh, stopped the bleeding. Uh, then I was kind of in and out from then on out. I don't remember a whole lot. Uh, woke up a couple times. Uh, they kept me in a nice morphine coma for a while, which was nice. I appreciated it. Um, you know, and then uh, you come to, and you know, it, it's weird being in the hospital because it's almost like uh, it's hard to explain. Just you don't get any news. Um, you know, you're there in a room by yourself, uh, and you're just trying to figure out what's going on and what else happened and uh, how everybody is, and nobody wants to tell you anything, and uh you know, and so it was a, it was the surgery in the hospital is probably it, it was it was horrible. Um and then while I'm in the hospital trying to rehab and get out of there, um, one of our tracks got hit and we lost six guys I'm you know, trying to figure out who they are and trying to get news and you know about who got hit and how bad it is and uh, And so I do. That was that was it. And so I told him I had to get back. uh, You know that I needed to be out of there. I needed to get back to my guys and get back in the fight. Uh,
1: How long were you in the hospital from the time that you were you were, you were wounded uh, until the time you left?
4: I didn't start. I got back to my unit, and I think end of May from, so two months I got back to uh, my unit, but I didn't actually start doing missions again until I think July is when they let me back out. It was by the end of July. I still had to do a lot of rehab back at the base with Corman who probably didn't know any more than I did about the whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I just couldn't stay away. Um, and while I was, while I was trying to get back, um, we lost three more guys in uh, a raid to a village. Um, and, uh, we lost my squad leader was killed. Um, uh, pretty much right before I became operational again. Wow. And, um, so when we got back out, I think it was my third or fourth mission. We got ambushed again in a small city. Uh, you call them cities, but you know you can see the other side of the town. It's got like three streets, uh, and uh, there hadn't been any coalition forces here since the invasion. It's completely untouched. It's just a little town that just, I mean, kind of fell by the wayside out there in the west side of the country. Just there's nothing there, and um, and we just we're doing a cordon and knock. We're just knocking on doors, asking if anybody's seen anything. Um, And then we got ambushed again and, um, and our platoon lost two there. Um, Lost two more guys there in the ambush. And I think the Iraqi army lost seven. Uh, So at that point I was actually, the guy in front of me, one of the guys in front of me, is the one who went down inside the doorway trying to clear through. It was a guy we had we I mean, crying out loud. We'd already shot him four times. And uh, he barricaded himself in this little hut, almost like an outhouse. And uh, we popped the door, and he just started shooting everywhere. Uh, so as I was making my way back for him to get— him, uh, the I didn't know that the guy's gun, the insurgent's gun, had jammed on him, uh, so he threw one of my friend's grenades in the doorway. Uh, and as I was approaching the doorway, uh, a cow actually, a bull from a, the pen that had ran off actually made his way back into this town wow. and ran me over as I was trying to get in the doorway in this little outhouse area and he knocked me down out of the way of the grenade and, you know, saved my life
1: wow.
4: again. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I mean, it was, a, I mean, you just can't make it up. It was the craziest <laughs> thing. I think I thought I'd been hit again. I thought I got blown up from the side again.
1: <laughs> I
4: felt something stomping on me. I felt all this pressure. I thought I was, I, and I heard guns going off. I was like, Oh my gosh, I got hit again. I was like, <laughs> And then sure enough, as I'm coming to, I see this bull staggering off as it got shot up. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Wow. It's like, this how does this happen? <laughs> and uh, <It's> nice. <laughs> it, was, it was, I mean, it was a, it was, a, it was insane. It was an was insane time. Um, and one of the last missions we went on, um, we had six snipers get killed wow. um, in a firefight. They lost comms um and uh you know don't know everything around it but you know it was you know it was what it was but uh they got hit and uh, we lost six of our snipers and so we went back out and we're looking for them the people that got them so we cordoned off three cities in a little triangle and we hit all three cities and in our way into the first city, um, our first track in our column set off a pressure plate and, uh, hit an IED and, uh, it cut the track in half and flipped it over on its top and, uh, killed everybody inside. We lost a whole squad. It 13 guys Jesus. that day. And, uh, and so I mean that's how we finished out and I mean we finished up uh, clearing those three cities Uh, our weapons company actually found the guys eventually they were held up in a house Um, and we found all their sniper rifles we found all their weapons we found all their gear all their optics computers Uh, they recovered everything from these guys Um, but uh, and then after that we did a few more small missions but our unit was essentially combat effective. We had, uh, taken almost 40% casualties between dead and wounded. Wow. Well, as a company element anyway. And, um, and then they sent us home and, uh, you know, and then you try to, and then you try to make sense of it all after you get back and you try to, you know, you, you're, you try to put a, I don't know, you try to put a happy face on it. You know, um, you try to, I mean, you're happy you're home, but at the same time, you feel guilty for being happy, right. you know, because you're looking back at everybody else who didn't make it home and, and their families met us when we got back and their families were there. Uh, their kids were there, wow. um, you know, and you're, it, you know, what do you say? Right. You know, what can you say? there's not? I mean, and sitting there at 21 years old trying to, you know, console a family, you know, because we're the last person that ever saw their kid alive, you know, and they want to know how it happened. They want to know last words. They want to know if he said anything to them and or to us. And, you know, and you're trying to, you know, you're just trying to figure out what it is to be home in the first place and, uh, you're trying to help families adjust and you're trying to help families, um, by giving them what information you have because there was very little communication, um, from the home front to, to where we were. And so a lot of them didn't get a chance to talk to anybody from our unit until we got home. Um, And so they really didn't hear anything official except from people who really didn't know what was going on, um, you know, until we got home. Uh, so we got home and and then shortly after, um, I was kind of thrown to the light duty side. Um, my knee was getting progressively worse. And, uh, and so I got thrown to the light duty side and, and then from there, I got the got the boot uh, out of the Marine Corps, and uh, kind of like Mike was talking about, you know, you're you have all that closeness. Uh, you have family there, uh, all these guys you can talk about this stuff with because they were there, they saw it, you know, they saw the same things you did, um, and then it's gone then you get out and you're trying to make sense of everything and you know, uh, the VA wants to drug you up, you know, uh, turn you into a zombie and, uh, they want to put you in this group and that group. And, you know, and, uh, I really didn't do well with that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, I looked at everything else. I drank horrible when I got back. Um, you know, and it just didn't, you know... Nothing ever silences the the screams that you hear um, when you sleep. I don't care how much I'd ever drank. Um, you know, and, and, I, and at that point, I wasn't living at all. I mean, it was pretty much wake up. You know, just go to work, struggle through, go to, you know, go come home, drink, go to sleep. And, uh, you know, and as I started, as time went on, um, you know, I found, uh, you know, the marriage didn't work for me. (laughs) My first wife was gone. Uh, she didn't stick around very long. Um, you know, and so nothing that didn't help, you know, everybody said, you know, settle down, find a wife, that'll help, you know, but it didn't. And, uh, you know, and I found a, uh, Marine Corps Vietnam vet here locally and me and him hooked up a couple of times and talked and, and chatted and, um, and that probably did the most good, I think to finally talk to somebody who understood, uh, you know, seeing your friends again every night and watching them die again every night. And he finally, you know, he understood that stuff. Um, that he could actually tell me what he did to help. And, uh, you know, and he gave me a one word answer, you know, uh, Jesus. And so, um, so I took his advice, you know, by. uh, went back to my faith and uh you know and not the list of rules and you know the do's and don'ts and the you know church every sunday wednesday and you know twice on sunday and all that but uh you know the, the actual jesus of the bible and you know i realized that you know if he could help everybody else in the world he would probably help me you know and he did uh You know, uh, he started working on me and, uh, I started putting myself into more, uh, creative and, uh, useful endeavors. Um, started working with my church, started working with kids, um, you know, and and got to share the stories of these guys that I served with. Um, and then, you know, like you said, at the beginning, it didn't feel like they were gone anymore, you know, felt like they were back for, you know, for a little while. Uh, that their memory wasn't going to die. And, um, you know, I got to share my story with them, you know, and I got to share with them that, you know, don't lose yourself in all this stuff that you're going through right now. You know, that this stuff, you know, you got to live your life. You know, circumstances, you know, if you were like me, you know, you can throw a pity party and all this stuff, you know, but it doesn't do anything for you. At the end of the day, you're still where you were. You know, and so I decided that, you know, I was going to start living, you know, and I wanted to bring as many people with me as I could to start living again. You know, uh, actually living and doing it well. Um, because I can't imagine that any of my brothers that fell that had fallen would have wanted me to be a miserable sad sack sitting at home and drinking myself to an early grave. Right. So, you know, I've I worked, worked with a couple of veterans in the VA, uh, talked to a lot of young veterans who are coming back um, and, and just try to give them that, you know, don't lose yourself in this. You know, uh, if you draw yourself in and you uh, let yourself sit there, I was like, you know, don't do it. You know, you'll lose yourself there. You'll lose yourself back in Iraq or Afghanistan. And, you know, and sometimes it's hard to come home again, even though you're back, it's hard to get back. Uh, especially the longer you stay down, you know, and I just try to give this message of hope, you know, that this isn't it for us, you know, we uh, veterans, you know, we're not disposable heroes, you know, um, we still serve a purpose, even though, you know, our initial one's gone, you know, um, crying out loud, loud Mike saving kids, you know, uh, who are being, you know, preyed upon, you know, here in our own country. Uh, you know, there's stuff that we can do. There's knowledge that we can pass on to the next generation. Um, You know, and and we need to be doing that. You know, we need to be making sure the world still knows that there's, uh, you know, there's epidemic of suicide in the veteran community. You know, it's an epidemic. 22 a day. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not getting better.
1: Yeah. Uh, Um, You know, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause and, uh, you know, speaking of a Vietnam veteran, um, uh, what people don't talk about enough is that the majority of those suicides, those daily suicides from American servicemen are Vietnam veterans. Um, and I've had a uh, a former um, Special Forces uh, Green Beret, a uh, Mac V. Sog team leader who served in Vietnam on the show by the name of Mike Stahl. And um, he, had, uh, he had gone through, like... You know, a very like he he said he was good right after he came home, but it wasn't until like ten years after the war that he he started really experiencing his PTSD. And um, I, I think you know, as in a way, you know, they called like the Vietnam veterans like the forgotten generation and 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 that sort of thing. And people, you know, kind of as a society, we kind of written them off. You know, like like when they came home and there were protests and 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 really like. Anti um, kind of servicemen sentiment that was heavy in America, and and you know you don't see that today. Today we kind of have, a, a I think, a very good uh, community of Americans who support servicemen and women. Um, but you know, like you said, like you you know you were kind of, you were drinking too much, and you kind of felt uh, isolated, and and uh, and you know, Mike said the same thing. That he felt like he didn't have guys who under, understood what he had went through, or what he was going through, and. Um, I think the Vietnam veterans feel that maybe even more than uh, GWAP veterans, you know, uh, because of the circumstances in which they had come home. And, um, you know, I- I'm glad that you were able to find yourself again and, and, uh, and that you're able to, uh, you know, give good advice and share your experiences. And I, I think I- – I don't know the exact uh, – I don't know the exact quote or exactly how it goes, but I know there's something from, um, kind of the Japanese, uh, warrior code that, that basically states uh, something along the lines of warriors are obligated to, to teach the next generation, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. give advice where they can. And I, I've seen so many examples of that and, um, you know, what you're doing and, and what Mike's doing and, and, uh, what Dan's doing as well. And, um, you know, I'm glad that you came on to share your stories with the audience. I know they're really going to appreciate it.
4: Thank you. I hope they do.
1: Thanks. Man. Yeah, for sure. So, Hey, uh, James, uh, can I ask you what, what motivated you to reach out to Dan and, and, uh, combat facts?
4: Uh, uh, honestly, I am, uh, I am not a social media person. Um, I just got my own Facebook not too long ago, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was, I was with my wife. I was on my wife's for a long time and, uh, I finally got my own. Um, and then, you know, once, once you do one, you end up on them all. So, uh, I got on Instagram not too long after that, had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, and, I'm looking through and you know, whenever you hit the search button, it it gives you all these things that you might like. I'm scrolling through there and I just see this, uh, American flag made out of a uniform that pops up and I'm like, wow, you know, that's really cool. I'd like to look into that, you know? so I clicked on it and it happened to be combat flags and, you know, I'm reading about what he's doing and, uh, you know, the, who he's helping and, and what it's about. And, um, you know, and just like Mike, I got a bunch of uniforms just sitting here. It's <laughs> just sitting in a box, and uh, and sure enough, on there was a was a message. You know, kind of, hey, if you've got uniforms, please send them in. You know, and I couldn't imagine a better way uh, for these uniforms to see new life, um, to to be useful again. Uh, and so I contacted him and was like, hey. I do have a box of uniforms. Uh, you know, how do I get them to you? And, uh, and he did. And uh, he told me how to get them to him. And I just could not, you know, um, think of a better organization to start getting involved with him. Cause just like Mike said, he's a veteran, he understands, you know, uh, so I know that this is going to be used for what it said it's going to be used for, you know, if it helps him and it helps the, the cause, then, you know, I'm all about it. So I had to get involved and I had to get with him. And, you know, uh, and luckily I, you know, had plenty of desert uniforms to send his way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so what, Dan, you said that James was the first uh, veteran to send in and write a a note with it?
2: No, he was... James was, I think, the, the, one of the first two Marines to send in
1: oh, okay, okay.
2: to send in uniforms. He was the first person who actually handwrote a note. Most like most people, I asked for just some pretty basic information, and they they bulleted it out for me, real simple. But James wrote me a a, a two page note, front and back, and it was it was pretty awesome. It was awe inspiring. It was, I mean, he he summed it up. You heard it straight from from him. But it was it was pretty cool to to get those and to hear his his story more in depth than just a five or six bullets um so i yeah, i hold I, I hold on tight to certain people's uniforms and james is definitely in that list where i i try and parse them out slowly
1: nice nice yeah that's awesome man um you know I'm, I'm glad that you guys came on and um you know, share some of your experience with the audience. I know people really appreciate uh, hearing from guys like yourself. And um, so, so Dan, b- before we uh, close out this episode, can you just give like a brief uh, kind of description or on, on what you were doing in the Army?
2: Yeah, so I was in the Army from 2003, 2003, 2009, um, serving in psychological operations in the, the U.S. Army. Um, I deployed twice to the southern Philippines in support of Operation Enduring Freedom, which ran in pal- parallel to OEF Afghanistan. And both of my deployments, I was attached to two separate ODAs, one from 19th group and one from 1st group. And we were doing kind of that. I was an attachment, so I was assisting them with that standard uh, SF mission while doing my PSYOP thing of trying to to win the hearts and minds so that we can... We could get in there and figure out where the bad guys were and what was going on, while also help um, stabilize and reinvigorate some of these really small, like far-flung areas in the, the the Philippine jungle. So I got out in 2009, and a lot like Mike and and James said, I I had a hard time leaving that culture and leaving my my friends who we had deployed with, and we we knew everything about each other. So I had a tough time there for a couple of years until. Combat flags came up, and it's put me back into touch with guys like James and Mike and Joe and God so many others that I could list off the top of my mind right now so it's my way to to give back to the veteran community and also kind of get that sense of teamship and camaraderie back in my
1: life yeah it's it's awesome man um you know uh the 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 flag that I have is is a great flag, and then the the combat cuff that you gave me when we hung out. Um, is also cool, man, and uh, it, it's kind of like a a contrast to the uh, like the the metal bands that guys wear, you know, like uh, in memory of their their fallen brothers, you know.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I wore the the stainless steel memorial cuff bracelet for years, and it was always pinching my skin and scratching my computer and all kinds of other stuff. So, I came up with the idea for the combat cuff, and that's what I wear now, and I've made. I don't even know how many I've made for other people, but it's it's pretty cool and pretty special.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. So, um, so Mike and and James, uh, I just want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Uh, Dan, thank you for setting this up, and um, sure. you know, I just want to thank all you guys for your service to the country and and for what you're doing. Uh, Post military, it's you know one thing. That I, like, I would like for the, the younger guys and girls who are listening to the podcast to really understand is, you know, the, the idea of, of kind of working towards or with for, for something that's bigger than yourself, you know, and, and I think uh, that's kind of the epitome of military service or, or service in general, because, you, you know, you can serve in, in a bunch of other different uh, facets and capacities. This is a, a, a big world and there's a, a lot of things that, that need to be done. And um, I, I think just the the idea of serving something that's greater than yourself w- could really set you on a path of, of uh, you know, having a great and uh, fulfilling life, you know. So, uh, you know, once again, I just want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast. And I appreciate everything you've done and everything you're, you're still doing. Hey, yeah, thanks yeah, for having
2: me. Appreciate yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, James. Thanks, Mike.
1: All right, guys. Peace. Well, those are some amazing stories um, from James and Mike. And, you know, it's it's always good to hear that guys have been able to find a sense of purpose and something that's worth fighting for when they get out of the military. And then on top of that, you know, just to hear about, you know, what our fellow Americans were going through in Iraq and Afghanistan and um. You know, uh, like like we talked about earlier, um, keeping the memory of, your you know, your fallen brothers alive by telling their stories and helping to mentor the, the next generation of Americans, you know, e- even if they're not going to join the service and, and go off and fight overseas. But, you know, just to encourage people to try and find something that is, you know, bigger than yourself and, and something that is worth you know doing and and it's helping people who are who need it and and you know that kind of thing and um you know I I just want to thank James and and Mike once again for coming on and and telling some of their story uh, I I hope you guys really appreciate it I did you can check out Dan's website at uh, combatflags.com Dan is also on Instagram to shows combat flags. My website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook is FB Recon uh, on Instagram. My main account is IG Recon. I have a secondary account called Black Ops Matter. And then there is a third account uh, that my good friend Chantel Taylor is running. It's called Mission Critical Mission Underscore Critical. Uh, Chantel is a combat veteran of the British army. She was a combat medic with, uh, multiple rotations to Iraq and Afghanistan. And, um, you know, be on the lookout to hear some more from Chantelle as we go forward, uh, through podcasting and, uh, social media and stuff like that. Um, and once again, I just want to send my condolences out to the family of Staff Sergeant Adam Thomas, uh, the Green Beret who was killed a couple of days ago in Afghanistan, uh, also to his teammates and, um, you know, for, for major Dalton Fury, we're all pulling for you, brother. And, uh, we hope everything works out. Peace.
4: Thank you.